Hello, people. Welcome to Techno Social. If you like what we're doing, then please consider liking us on YouTube and on your podcast provider, sharing our content round, and generally telling people about it. And maybe even consider giving us a donation on patreon.com forward slash techno social. Guys, we are rolling. Rachel, we are here with Rachel Haywire, one of the coolest girls on the internet. She's a philosopher queen and the host of some crazy, wacky parties that we're calling Elixir Salons. I was at the last one and it was five hours of philosophy and poetry and videos and music. I was drinking a bottle of straight gin while wearing my sunglasses and listening to techno music at the same time. It was a kind of journey through the night. I loved it. So Rachel, thanks for that. Thanks for being here. Um, I want to tell me a bit about what is the Elixir? Because I don't really know what it is. It's a Zoom party that is wild. Well, I would say Elixir Salon, it's a salon. It just happens to be a digital event because... People can't see each other during social distancing. So I figured I would bring everybody together online. I love hosting salons. I'm all about the theater scene, the art galleries, the museums of the mind. And I bring together creative people, musicians and artists and speakers, philosophers. And that was the event that you attended. And that's the Elixir Salon. And I'm going to be throwing many more. And yeah, salons are the future. Yeah, well, I feel that there's something beautiful about the way you're able to connect people from all over the fucking world now in it, which is absurd. Like you're over in the States, right? And then we're here in London. We had people from Sweden. We had people from, I'm not entirely sure where else, but it's, you know, it's a beautiful way that you're making use of the internet and the new technology. And also the fact that we were in lockdown at that time and everybody's feeling creatively starved. There's no music, there's no galleries other than what you can get on the Spotify. And, you know, I'm intrigued that this, this ability to create an, a kind of on the spot digital hookup place for everybody and anybody who wants to be involved, who's got the right link is is new and novel and powerful. We're riding these airwaves with it and I love it. Yeah, it was the only option because I needed to make entertainment because I couldn't really go out and do anything. So I just brought the entertainment to the screen. I've been throwing salons for a long time. My first event was the Extreme Futurist Festival in Los Angeles in 2011. Um, in 2015, I produced Instead. It was like a countercultural TED event. And this is just what I do. I produce events and I bring like minds together from all over the world. At uh, Elixir Salon, we had a noise artist from Tokyo. We had Alexander Bird all the way from Sweden. And we, we had some speakers from London. Um, we even had a guy from Barcelona. So, but one of the benefits of throwing these events online is that you can bring people together that normally wouldn't be able to come together due to location. What do you think is the sort of the attractor that brings all these people together in this circumstance of the salon? Cause, cause there's, there's perhaps other type of, of crews that might get together according to other attractors, but what is your attractor? What is, why do these people come together? I believe it's a thirst for the authentic and the passionate out of the box thinking and a desire for something that doesn't adhere to the same, you know, paradigm, the, the whole game A superstructure. So, so salons are essentially spaces for creative people to communicate and collaborate with one another. 
You mentioned a few of the other events that you've done, right, over the years. Is there a theme that runs through the events that you've done? A kind of like Rachel, a thing that you're getting across? Yes. People from all lakes of life, regardless of views, regardless of class, regardless of industry, come together for common ideas. Um, It's not about like a social hierarchy. It's not about people, you know, just like trying to get laid or paid. It's about people that have a common idea and a common thirst for knowledge and innovation coming together. Mm, Particularly around this scene of of futurism, right? That's what I'm kind of getting. And um, (laughs) there's something that felt quite cyberpunk. I know we've said in our email exchanges that you're actually not so keen on the word punk anymore, but for for describing it, because I I messaged you saying you'd used this word, an essay you'd written a while back, Aristopunk, that I loved. I thought it kind of encapsulated something quite beautiful, which is this sense of being an other and an outsider and perhaps not fitting in with what's going on in society with its intellectual and its art scenes at the moment. But then also having that aristocratic refinement and that desire for the, for the, the kind of higher reaches and culture, a dissatisfaction with the base and the ordinary. It certainly, I felt like it, it described my my path through life quite well and the word hit it right on the spot being a kid from quite a a well-educated background studying the classics and latin and greek but then also being very into heavy metal music and techno music and the industrial scene and the party scene and never really knowing how to synthesize those two interests because i'd meet people from one world and they'd be like why do you do all this crazy fucking shit on the weekends and then i'd meet people at the weekends and they'd be like what do you like no latin yeah (laughs) same Pretty much identical, actually. And the whole idea of being like, you can only go to tech conferences or you can only go to goth clubs has always been very limiting to me. Like I'm somebody who would go to a goth club and dance one night and then the next night I would go to a tech conference and there was not a contradiction in that for me, but I was always the only person at both. But what I noticed was that there were people at the goth clubs that I went to that were interested in technology. And there were people at the tech conferences that I went to that were interested in the arts and music and alternative visionary self-expression. You know, and that's what I'm like, that there's a niche for this. There's a market to grow. Um, That's how the Extreme Futurist Festival and instead were brought into existence. Outsiders, like you say, um, but, but not just like, outsiders um just like punk i kind of feel like these terms can be used in a degrading way um but the the sentiment still stands um yes it it is possible to belong to a class of people that are reaching for the stars that have a refined and elegant you know cultural experience that are also not the ruling aristocracy um and that this is all, all over the world, it's all over the map. Um, and I, I think that actually, like to, to get into philosophy for a moment, one of the flaws of Karl Marx was that he, he didn't understand this portion of society. He, he didn't understand there were people that moved through the classes. You know, he had the, the proletariat and the bourgeoisie um, and the, the lump in the ruling class, but, but he didn't understand there were people that moved through the classes. And that's what, what is the, the artist classes, the, the art class are people who move through the classes. And that there were a lot of people in the art class that really didn't get covered. That's so cool. Because it feels like um, you're referring to these, these in-betweeners that go in between classes. And I guess the technology real, really allowed and empowered these people. And, and actually technology might have dissolved all of our previous notions of class because it all became sort of less neatly defined and all a little bit mishmash, even though there's also a performance and a semblance of, of, of classes into this society. But it does feel like creativity as this vital force uh, is manifesting itself not only in these individuals who are moving between classes, but also like in the networks that through technology, like you said, they can create and you connect such disparate things like, like golf culture and tech culture. Definitely. The vitalism is a core 
for me. It's always been an inspiration, just like vitalism, because I think in the, the materialist, kind of like hyper-utilitarian, rationalist, you know, um, society that, that we live in, the society of rationalism, um, <laughs> that there is not really a lot of um, room for vitalism in the mainstream, though there should be. Um, but I, I think that it, it scares the, uh, the non-artists be because they don't know how to handle chaos. They don't really understand spontaneity. Everything needs to be on a grid or a chart for them. So if there's anything that, that really unifies people that come to my salons and underlying theme, it's people that don't have a linear mode of thinking in which everything has to be mapped in grid by this, this hyper-rationalist way of thinking, which is really damaging to yeah. creative, creative self-expression and like even creative growth, like even economic growth in the creative sectors. They're, they're kind of like saying, we, we don't like vitalism. We, we want everything to be utilitarian. And, you know, like vitalists of the world unite, you know, so, so here we are. Yeah, I think there's some beautiful synergies to come from this world of technology and from the subcultural art scene, like as, as you've alluded to. Like, there's a vibe that a lot of well-meaning forward-thinking technologists are really trying to re humanity for the best. But I think, as you said, they're trapped within a very logical, rational way of doing it. And about as creative as they can get is often systems thinking. And they're like, yeah, there's a lot that we don't understand, but we can model it using chaos theory or we can use, uh, you know, we yeah. can use the Santa Fe Institute and then help us. And then they'll kind of point and go, and this is where artists come in, but they won't really know what else to do. And then what you need to have is a dude with long hair and eyeshadow and black fingernails, like dancing around with a glow stick in his hand who comes along and is like, yeah, I'm going to fucking show you some, some wild energies. And I love the sense that what I felt at your salon is that, those two are coming together because I think it's a mistake to read that the artistic subcultures that arose in the 20th century are just a kind of hedonistic, nihilistic response to a mainstream culture that's stifling and boring. Perhaps they have often expressed that way because there wasn't a coherent vision or a coherent something for them to tap into yet. But there is something beautiful and transcendent in these scenes. There's a conversation that Daniel and I have been having with a friend of ours, David Burke, recently, who is, he's, I mean, I guess he's an aspiring thinker and a, and a heavy metal guy. And he's got this vision that he wants to push heavy metal in the direction of being a meaningful political block. Whether or not it's going to work out, I don't know. I love the fucking vision because I think what he's tapped into is that there's something deeply powerful, creative and shamanic going on in this space. And it doesn't just have to be heavy metal. It can be the goth scene. It can be the industrial scene. It can be the fucking reggae scene. People are making magic happen. And what, what our app developers and our blockchain dudes need, they need some of that magic, some of that, some of that shadow and some of that mysticism. I agree. I actually, I have a friend who makes blockchain art, which is pretty cool. He's been featured in some museums. Um, I, I worked with Codemy for a while, like through art tech festivals and you had like really creative looking robots and, you know, like algorithm generated music and that kind of thing. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. So there, there definitely is a fusion. There definitely is a, a synthesis. And I think it's going to continue to grow. Um, but, but I would object to your assessment that a lot of the nihilism comes from people not really having the space. Mm. Um, the, the nihilism just comes from ignorance and a lack of experience and taking the easy way out. It's a knee-jerk reaction to people who don't want to do the work. I mean, it's an jerk reaction of people who don't want to do the work. Um, and, and I wouldn't just excuse them by saying, oh, well, they, they don't have a place they can express themselves. They do. People know my events exist. You know, people know that they can go to shows, you know, like, like even during quarantine, people know that they can go to a live, you know, virtual meetup. People know these things. People know that they can go into VR and socialize and dance. Everybody knows these things, um, like with the exception of like, people that are like deep in poverty, everybody knows. Um, yet you still have this very nihilistic 
response, um, which I think is just ignorance. Rachel, what do you think is the point of danger, the most, ex and by danger, I also mean the most creatively exciting possibilities, like that sort of danger. It's like, obviously, I think that maybe the nihilism that you're just describing is, is, is people being too eager to please whatever gridlock square they are inserted within and not really having the lust to traverse the squares and uh, perhaps drink yeah. a little bit of the cup of chaos. So, so speaking of the cup of chaos, like where's the exciting part for you and simultaneously the most dangerous one? Wow. Okay. That, that's a, a great question um, because there's so much um, intertwining of, of chaos and nihilism, um, but I, I definitely don't, don't think they're the same thing, but there's like the notion of like riding the tiger or, you know, that, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I, I think that there's a difference between like embracing the chaos and just letting yourself go and just like being a, a knee-jerk nihilist reactionary. Um, you know, I, I think that the, the excitement and the danger, you know, be, being on the edge, so to speak, it's, a, it's about scaling new heights. It's uh, about soaring to new places. It's the thrill of experience and the, the thrill of going where, where others fear to tread. And that definitely, you know, contributes to creative growth. And I think that danger, you know, I mean, it depends on how you're defining danger here. Um, you know, I, I would like put a cap on like anything that was physically harmful. Um, but, but yeah, that there's a very creative element in danger that is related to like, kind of like embracing the chaos and channeling it. And that, that's more what it's about, like channeling chaos in an exciting way rather than just being a nihilistic jerk off. You said something there that, that I really vibe with, which is, you know, usually, People would answer and say that, you know, exciting but also dangerous stuff is at the margin and it's about breaking down a center. And you spoke about going high. So, so there's a difference between that verticality of just like go up and beyond with this Icarus megalomania versus the same old tired story of, you know, let's take down systems of power, which I mean, nobody, nobody, nobody who's honest about exciting art riffs with that anymore because it's no longer the 1960s. Exactly. Yeah, I'm more for, for the Icarus, the Phoenix rising through the ashes, the vertical hierarchy of power self-expression rather than like the, um, the, the fringes unifying, which used to be an appealing idea to me. You know, I, like I thought it would be cool to like, unite the fringes. Um, but then I realized that that just created like a new celebrity class, the, the horseshoe effect. It's like, okay, make the same, the, the new boss, mm. and it's the old, boring, boring, right? Um, so um, what I came up with was the, the notion of transcending the center. Um, mm. It's not about like uniting the extremes. Um, it's about transcending the center and creating something higher and something better and something different. Um, and really just like redefining the rules, you know, and building things in your own image. And, and do you feel like the first comers will be king of the hill type people, these, these, these aristocracy of creatives who end up achieving these new ways of expression that will be necessarily more powerful? What do you mean by king of the hill? Or are you referring to the show or are you referring mm. to like a monarchist kind of... I'm meaning, I'm meaning that, you know, within current society, like, and, and given the evolve, like how digital has evolved, it feels like a lot of the playing field that used to be dominated by, let's say, broadcast society and all that has been kind of dissolved and made into chaos. And that has kind of flattened a yeah. lot of how cultural life happens. So it feels like the first one to go out there is kind of a new, has that potential. Yeah, yeah, very much. Pioneers and founders, um, people who chart in territory are definitely like, I wouldn't go as far as to, to seeking necessarily um, because that there is you know, there, there, there's a lot of like factionalism and, you know, you, you have to account for, you know, black swans and, you know, spontaneous occurrences in general. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think it's important to dismantle the, the horizontal hierarchy, um, uh, the horizontal lack of hierarchy. Um, because, because I see more and more people engaging in like this, like very, very juvenile, like Nazbolian way of thought. Um, where they're, they're not shifting upward. And I, I think that 
it's definitely very damaging. Like when, when it's just a bunch of nihilistic irony types making the same references over and over and over again. It's sort of like, that this is not, uh, that this is not engaging. Um, so yeah, going up with the founders and the pioneers are the ones who are, you know, like leading the charge. Yes. yes. Do you feel that that relates to your concept of this creative aristocracy or, or in how, how would you like define that for people who don't know? Um, you don't want to define anything too much because well, let's just say you don't want to define anything too much and then leave it at that. Um, yeah, you, you just, you don't want to define anything too much. That's, that's a good answer. Intriguing then, these notions of class have popped up a couple of times. And I think one of the, the very interesting questions that's coming up at the moment with the advent of digital is about be this class structure of of the 21st century, something that our mutual friend Alexander Bard has done a bunch of work with. Um, and it is that word, the, this, this art aristocracy, it has weight to it for a meaning. There, like, there's something to it. And I'm trying to figure out what that is. Because is, is there a sense that artists for the last 100, 200 years haven't been aristocratic and now there's a kind of renaissance of aristocratic values within the artist. Is that something to unpick? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, a lot of it is a uh, gravitas, you know, weight. Artists carry weight. Artists carry, you know, this, this strength, this, this inner will, um, weight. You know, um, gravitas is considered uh, like unacceptable in, in many aspects of uh, society. Oh God, I, I want a word to use besides society. Um, <laughs> if you know of any synonyms and some of them ever went to art school. Um, but anyway, so side tangent. Um, yes, <laughs> the, the artists that are, you know, speaking with something that has gravity, that are creating, you know, with the depth, that are creating with a, a heaviness are, you know, often considered depressed or dark or narcissistic. Um, well, and it's none of these things whatsoever. It's just that some people like to think and some people like to explore. And, you know, not everybody wants to go on a, a yoga retreat, you know, to like learn how to not be an artist. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I mean, I'm talking about like this, this concept of self-awareness, and like how some people, they're, they're so self-aware that they don't create anything interesting because they're worried about like coming off as, as too heavy, right? Um, so I think it, it's important to understand levity. I mean, because there, there's no way that we can get around the, the modern like game aristocracy being utterly consumed and confined by levity. Their existence is a, a walk on air. That, that is their, their entire life, walking on air. That is the current aristocracy. So... Can we create a new aristocracy in which people have more depth, which people have more, you know, vitalism inside? Um, yeah, I, I think we can. Um, and it's through salons and through private meetings and, you know, like getting together with like minds and building it ourselves. And that's how we do it. We build it ourselves. It's time to build. Hell yeah. Amen to that. But this makes me think about, and, 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 and perhaps going back to, to something that I was exploring before, is how it is a, is it, the word exodus comes to mind. Exodus from game A, from broadcast society, from the current gridlock of opinions and, and, and thoughts and, and how, how ideas get to be had. If ideas are tools, and if they create sort of an ontological reality bubble in which we inhabit, then what we're trying to explore is really the membrane of how to go out. And it takes, it takes a specific character. It takes, indeed, specific vitalism, specific temperament of people who are attracted to that outsideness and uh, are willing to, to, to navigate the, the uncharted, chaotic fields that lie outside, right? 
Yeah, that's exactly what it takes. It's an exodus and it does take an engagement with the, the outsideness. Um, that, that's also Nick Land's Twitter handle, funny enough. Um, and I feel like Nick Land should get more credit and, you know, mentions. But everybody seems to, to like talk about that other guy, Curtis. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's, he's just like so boring. I, I don't want to talk about him. Um, I, I just think he, he's dull. You know, I, I think we should be talking more about Nick Land um, and the, the outsideness and the exodus, the, the exit over the voice. I think that's the direction that we need to be going in is to lead the charge for this exodus and to embrace the unknown, to embrace these outer forms. This, these Cthulhu and depths that exist outside of like uh, the space which our tools allows, allow us to see, right? Because it feels a lot that the role of the artist is create the tools that can bring that outsideness and, and produce it in reality uh, forms and bring it into, into symbols and shit that we can consume and live out. Um, and, and naturally like a guy like, like Nick Land, and I'm, I'm reminded of other examples of people like this, they, his history, his story arc as a person is, is obviously he went outside, then he like, what the fuck? And, and now he's slowly coming back in his own terms, in his own way. Cause there's, there's, there, there needs to be some wisdom as well when, when we deal with this outsideness because of these, perhaps the, this Cthulhu that exists there is no joke. And it's been no joke since ever in history. Definitely. This, this also Nick ties Land in- had the balls to take it. I was going to say, he's taking his speed and typing ones and zeros and numbers at his computer <laughs> in, was it Warwick? Back in the 90s. And that... I love that as a, that's like opening up the perception to Cthulhu to it, it's like a kind of <laughs> there's the psychedelics movement and it's all peace and love and it, I mean it's not all that but that's the mainstream version of it and then you've got Nick Land there just like no I'm gonna do amphetamines and I'm gonna fucking type right uh, I love the creative possibilities of of experimentation with chemicals and with creative process with the computer. Sometimes I'll get high and just type away at my computer and see what happens. And it's dangerous because you don't know what the fuck's going to come out. And you don't know if it's actually like, especially with the chemicals we've got available to us now and the technologies, our brains are not designed for this shit. They didn't evolve for this shit, but precisely because of that, you can end up with fucking fang numina. It's so funny. You mentioned that like, I'm not a, a math person, um, but I, I love LSD. And I remember I was reading Fang Numina on LSD when I was in quarantine two months ago. And then I got to the chapter with all the numbers and all the characters. And I was like, ah, you know, because <laughs> it's like, wow, you know, and I just started to come up on my trip. Um, and then I remember like putting my VR goggles on and <laughs> I explored this simulation oh, I'm saying too much um, I explored this, this simulation where I was actually like swimming with Cthulhu in virtual reality and I was like going going like that and we, we were like hanging out you know um, it was absolutely wild so you are brave oh, I mean I would like to think that I am somewhat brave I honestly, like most of the really brave people are, are dead. I, I don't even know if I can say that. Am I going to like lose a sponsor? I, I don't know. I, I don't care. I'm independent, whatever. Um, subscribe, <laughs> subscribe to my sub stack. Um, I do this so you don't have to. Um, RachelHaywire.substack.com. <laughs> I do this so you don't have to. <laughs> it's beautiful. But it, it's, it's so right. Um, uh, this reminds me of when Nick Land was talking about this alien order of time that betrays itself through synchronicities and, and meaningful coincidences and through, you know, if you look back at history, you see the numerology and Kabbalah and the praxis of every magician who loves to fuck with runes and numbers and anything that's, that's there in as instead of the outside, right? Because we don't see the outside and we see it by means of perhaps specific symbols. It it pokes its head into reality in moments of coincidence, of synchronicity. I wonder if you have anything to say about that. Definitely. I mean, I am wary of of saying too much now. So I- Is there such a- uh, Sorry, go on. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, there is. Um, <laughs> but but I, I would say that the Mark Fisher term, acid communism, kind of inspired the lineage of people that were exploring political theory and psychedelics. But then I thought like, is there like a right-wing counterpart? Is there like an acid nationalism? You know, is there like a, an occult right? Um, what would that look like? What, what are the meanings behind this? And, you know, how, how far can we go? Mm-hmm. Is there a, an occult and psychedelic technological platform or technological group of people as opposed to political? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm talking political, like in a metaphysical way, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. like a, a binary, okay. like pro anti way. I'm talking about more like a, like a vertical. Mm. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, but just like something like Mark Fisher's acid communism, but like with, without the, you know, um, the, the communism part actually. Um, <laughs> so just like exploring the occult in a more forbidden dimension, essentially. Interesting. Because I'm, uh, I think we've had a guest on this podcast who was a uh, Benjamin Teitelbaum and he, um, he's well-versed in traditionalism and how the occult bear and the esoteric bears some, um, you know, meaningful connections to political movements, you know, traditionalism of, of Genong and Evola, which naturally, you know, end up feeding into Dugan today and, and other characters. And there seems to be, it seems that the vital line that connects all these disparate movements throughout history, and if you go pre-20th century, you'll find a fuckload of them as well, that it is the same line. It is the same entity in different moments. And you could find a variety of these different entities in different moments. Uh, it's, it's what Manuel Delanda calls the machinic phylum. You know, he says that technology have, have lineages, right? First, you had the, the you know, the... The rifle, and then you learn to solve the problem of how the rifle, will, how the bullet will go through the the tube, and then you have trajectory, and then you, all of a sudden you have cannons, which in turn leads to different fortresses. So there's a a lineage, almost a ancestry, and I feel like the same could be said for vital forces. Mm-hmm. I'm well, actually curious about this, Miss Manuel guy. It seems like somebody I should know about that I don't. And if, if you could drop me a link, and maybe yeah. he'd want to speak at the next elixir salon. This is exactly the, the energy that I'm looking to cultivate. This is what interests me. That this is what excites me. One of the fascinating things about Manuel Delanda is that he's a um, professor at Columbia or, or Princeton or something like that. And he's basically reading Deleuze uh, while not making it profoundly obscure, making it quite, quite simple, but there's such magic in that. Uh, I think mm. he, he, like, he uncovers such a special problem with the lineage thing, the phylum. Yeah, yeah, especially when you take rhizomes into account. I, I don't know if I pronounced that right, rhizomes? Rhizomes. Um, take rhizomes into account like in an occult space where it's not just like a physical city, but it's like a, a city of the mind, you know, what, what I would call mm-hmm. like, a, like the empire of the mind, right? Um, like where do we even begin with that? You know, especially with all the new technology developing and you, you think about the possibilities of virtual reality and the ability to, to create the, these rhizomes, you know, like in, in hyperspace. And, and that's where things start to get really exciting. Guys, can we expand on this concept of the rhizome? Just, I'm not sure if anyone's going to know what it means. Readers of Deleuze will. Rhizome is, according to Deleuze, this, uh, instead of, you know, you have tree-like structures, which, in which there is a, a lineage that is more or less easy to define and works like a tree. A rhizome is like, a, a, a grouping where every point is a center, uh, no matter where it's located. It's kind of a cloud or, or, or a root or some, something weird like that. The way that I look at it is kind of this chaotic connection where anything can be connected to anything and descend from anything and outflow to everything else simultaneously in a really fucked up manner that fucks with the laws of uh, uh, proper discrimination, you know? Fucking basically. Yeah pretty chaotic in that way it's chaotic but it has a uh, harmony to it mm. it's the harmony of chaos evolving mm. right and does that map onto the way that the internet currently works? 
like chaos, but there's centers everywhere. But it's also, there's no like coherent center to it in the way that say in a, in a nation state, there's a political bureaucracy who have a monopoly on certain forms of power on the internet. And admittedly, the internet is in competition with these national political bureaucracies, but there are bubbles, but the membranes between the bubbles are thin and any agent can in theory walk between them and, and rise up and disappear. I, I would have said yes a few years ago, but I, I actually think that the internet has reached a, a point where it is hyper centralized, yet people think that it's not. Um, like even like five years ago, yeah, yeah. A lot more independent channels. Um, now it, it seems like everything revolves uh, around, um, you know, Joe Rogan. No, no offense to, to Joe, not, you know, but he's watching this. And, but, but if he ever does, right? Um, it, it's not Joe Rogan that's the problem. It's the celebrity cult worship and like, people feeling like they need to be on the Rogan show, like in order to like even be recognized at all. Um, so there's a, a big central position with, with that kind of thing, which I think is like blocking out the, the true expansion that we could have had. Um, you know, and we, we think about like how everybody is on Substack now, which is really cool. You know, everybody is kind of doing their, their own thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, that, that's cool. But at the same time, people are still stuck on Twitter. They don't want to migrate outside of Facebook. You know, and I recently left Twitter and Facebook because it was just like too much of the, the same things over and over again. You, you've got like, you know, shills on there, like the, the literal definition of shills, people that are yeah. paid to, you know, real shit. politician, you know, and they, they invade and people leave, you know, on for, for new, you know, um, social networks like, like Parler, you know, but I went on Parler and like, no, nobody was really on it. You know, there, there wasn't that, that much activity there. Um, and, and even there, it just seemed to be, like the like the, the Trump campaign, it, it was too political. And so I think that we need to create new options and that we're, we're actually at the risk of like losing the internet to be these superimposed, you know, centralization structures. Mm -hmm. Is there, I agree with you. I think the internet is currently being recuperated. Whereas, you know, previously we were in the stage of expanding and figure, finding out all of these beautiful, fresh uh, new things. Somehow that seems to be uh, too spicy for some people to handle. And so obviously recuperation is a process that naturally happens as, uh, as the market does. It feels like the internet is so fast that this happened faster than, you know, it was 15 years or something that, that it lasted. And today yeah. I think we have a colonized internet. Yeah, yeah. That, that's pretty much what, what I'm getting into. I think a lot of it comes from China. I think that there's just like so much totalitarian censorship and they're so good at propaganda um, they're, they're so good at optics, which a lot of people on the far right and the far left admire, which to me is disgusting because of how they've treated Hong Kong and how they, they treat their own citizens um, and how they've censored the internet and, you know, like copied our technology. And it seems like for some reason people want that. And, and I, I just can't imagine wanting that. If it was up to me, we would have quit doing trade with China ages ago. And they certainly wouldn't have all this power in the, the tech industry. I think we've pretty much like signed our souls away to China as Americans in the, the tech sector. And it, it may be too late. I, I think that there might even be like a, a return to primitivism, you know, um, as, as a backlash against this. That's a very interesting point. Um, I think that one of the reasons why artists are interesting people in, in, in this context with the internet is because somehow they will always be attracted to that little point of volatility to the content or the activities or the people who are actually producing this acid that corrodes and dissolves uh, static frames of mind, static identities, these, these cult-like identities. But on the other hand, we also have, as you uh, pointed out with China, I guess, we also have the internet as battle space. So you, you have groups galore, going in and, and creating these fake campaigns, hiring shills, psychographically profiling everyone and creating these, these reality bubbles that is kind of the, a backlash against the chaotic proliferation of, of potentially creative ideas. 
yeah, yeah, definitely. And you know, people would respond with, "Well, what are you doing to change things?" Well, well, that's that's why we're here, right? That's why we're having this discussion, and that's why yeah. we're working on changing things. That's why we're working on building new structures, is because of this. So, so this is how we're creating an alternative and not complaining by engaging in this dialogue and taking. Mm-hmm. Truly, and I think that what you're doing with the Elixir Salon is is precisely kind of indicative of the next step after after Cambridge Analytica, right? Meaning that, you know, if, if players of first-generation warfare are aware that you can, you know, take people and put them in certain reality bubbles without them even knowing and, and perhaps corral them into a specific uh, social nomadic tribe, then as a response, obviously the artist and, and, and the vital spirit within us will also say, okay, I'll do the same, but with, with, with my own, in my own terms. And I guess there's this kind of this breakdown of pol- this, this polarization where you see all this stuff kind of popping up here and there. Some will fail. Some will be really good. Depends obviously on the curatorship, but, uh, but I totally, I think that's going to be the next step. Everyone's talking about this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that we're at this point and I'm happy to be a part of this revivalism as I call it. It's a, revivalist movement of the spirit um, and I, I think it's very core mm. to to get involved now and it, it is also important to to keep people out you know have uh like agendas of, of making it all like a, a campaign for the politician or you know um like like to to like uh created the new celebrity class like i keep coming back to this idea of how people that they kind of have like this dream of like this Red Burn Alliance and the, the horseshoe effect, it just turned out to be uh, people creating a, a new celebrity class. And I think that a lot of these people that are working to create a new celebrity class are, are coming in and invading everything now. Um, and we actually, we, we have to, to keep them out. And I'm gonna be the, the first one to, to say this. I mean, it's gonna be me, the, the Jewish chick, right? I'm gonna say it. Like we need to keep these people out because they are going to invade everything. Mm-hmm. It's like celebrity is this weird, again, emergence of the 20th century that basically allows people to hack being great. And admittedly, there are some celebrities who are good at what they do and are celebrities for that reason. But we had in the 2000s, certainly, the whole class of the influencer. And it's like the extension of the socialite, where people who are just famous for being famous and it snowballs. And there's this weird aspirationalism where kids and grown-ups who are still kids look at pretty people on screens who talk about how great their lives are and it's like i want that and if i can't have that let me at least experience it through you i can look at your instagram feed and i can see the pina colada that you're pretending to drink and thus feel that i'm also sitting on a beach having a pina colada and it's all substanceless i think that's the the core of it it's we live in the age of of instagram yoga chicks where hey, the way hey. like a, a high a high spiritual attainment is to practice this deep ancient methodology so that you can take your clothes off and look fucking sexy in an advanced asana and it's such a um a, a prostitution of of things that can be used for much more interesting and transformative experiences. And so I totally agree with you that, that people who are either who are oriented towards that celebrity who want, who want the view counts, who want the audience, who want the, the lifestyle without the contribution, it's, Nah, man. I remember walking through one of these super posh areas in uh, in North London with my mum once, and she was saying, "Like, wouldn't you love to live in one of those big houses?" And I said, "If I actually fucking earned it, you know, I would like to live in one of those big houses <laughs> right, right. if I'd done something with my life that merited living in one. But if I was just to go and sell out and then earn, and I'd say that in the kind of like corporate sell out lifestyle because I ain't doing that. But if I were to just go and work for a law firm or a management." consulting firm and then make a load of money and then go live in a big house. It's like, cool. I bet I'd be miserable deep down. And I, my sense is that's probably what happens 
with or will happen with a lot of the cult of the influencer as it goes on right now they're probably riding this consciousness hack that goes on i can get likes my brain likes likes oh my god i'm the best in the world everybody loves me but yeah yeah that is the the instagram the the gratitude girls the the chakra healers all all of it well this is why i wrote the philosophy queen manifesto is to create uh a reemergence of the, the dark goddess, you know, as a, a new concept, you know, to mm, say more about kinda, that. The, the philosopher queen manifesto was a manifesto I wrote for women that were embracing the darkness as a mystical power. Um, women that weren't trad wives, um, but they, they also weren't social justice warriors. They were another force. We were another force and we're, uh, a lineage, you know, we, we have a history, like everybody um, from Human Palia to Joan of Arc to Wendy O. Williams, the lead singer of the punk band, the Plasmatics, I'm um, going back to, to Donna Haraway, the author of the Cyborg Manifesto, um, you know, um, even going back to, to Cleopatra, you know, th- this is a, a lineage, and when, when you're kind of like forced to, to be like, um, like an Instagram yoga girl, or like a a trad wife, you know, which, which is pretty much just like two sides of the same coin, you know, woke, anti-woke, you guys are all attention whores, right? Um, you know, like, like we need an alternative. So, so we, we are the, the alternative. And I will say it again, there is no difference between the, the woke and the anti-woke. They're all just a bunch of attention whores. And it's important to like, you know, to unplug from, from all of that, to not engage in like, just like, no, like get away from that. Don't go for the likes. Don't go for the clicks. Don't go for the attention. Attention is a zero sum game. Status is a zero sum game. Go for doing what's true to your heart, you know? Um, as you know, cliches that might sound like do what's true to your heart, do what you believe in, and the right people will find you. It, it's not about like getting attention or or being a part of like some, some ideology. It's about doing what matters to you and, and leaving an impact on your own terms. I love that idea that woke and anti-woke are just two sides of the same coin and we need to get beyond it. It's that like Hegelian shift that happens over and over again, that like negating the negation. If you're still trying to negate the thing, you're just stuck in it. It's like, the classic example of that is like Foucault's critique of the 60s sexual liberation movement, where he's like, so yeah, the idea was that sexuality was repressed and everyone was coming up with new words and like conditions and rigidly defining sexuality within language, making it speak. And then everyone's like, right, we're going to free ourselves from that. And we're just going to be free. We're going to express sexuality. You're still just trying to make it speak. You're still trying to make sexuality do something. Right, right. Sexuality shouldn't have to do anything. It should just exist on its own because sexuality exists in its own dimension. It doesn't need to be like a, a pro or an anti anything. And I encourage everybody to to not chase the, the clicks, but to chase genuine, authentic, and sincere expression of your, your inner core. You know, it's, it's about sincerity. We have a society of uh, irony, nihilists, and it's, it's up to us to, to be sincere, to be honest, and to, to be authentic. And you know, like, you, you don't need to like, participate in this, this meme culture of this, this juvenile cruelty. Like, if you need to do that to, to get ahead, you know, like you're, you're degenerate, you know, like in the real meaning of degenerate is that, you know, is like mindlessly joining the herd, you know, and I think it's disgusting and I refuse to work with people like that. And I, I want to, to narrow my circle to like minds and close friends, collaborators. And I, you know, like I'm not even on, on social media anymore. I, I just do podcasts and panels now. And this is why. Mm, I love that, that sincerity and authenticity. I mean, you didn't say this, but what I'm thinking is like as an opposite or an opposed ideal to liberation, which is the kind of fetishized object that has existed in much of culture for the 20th century. And of course, like liberty and freedom is wonderful and political freedoms and social freedoms. Absolutely. 
I'm not saying get rid of them, but also if a life is lived constantly chasing liberty, let me be free, let me do whatever I want to. Well, maybe what you want to in the moment is fucking useless. And maybe actually what is needed is that, (laughs) I'm going to go fucking Jocko Willink on this shit, that discipline is freedom. It's like, maybe you need to get up and study and maybe you need to put yourself in the discipline and maybe you need to actually pay attention to the great thinkers and the great artists and not just fucking eat that hamburger or have a wank because you want to. And not just think that a piece of art that was generated on the fly is actually any good. It's like, we're liberated because everybody can be an artist. Everybody can be what they want to be. It's like, hmm, well, be what you want to be, but do it fucking well. I totally agree. I totally agree. The, the fetishization of liberation has definitely turned into a, an orgy of nothingness. And I, I think uh, discipline is, is very important. There's a throbbing gristle song. I don't know if you know the, the old industrial band, Throbbing Gristle. They have a song called Discipline. It is absolutely incredible. The, the lead singer, Genesis, just passed away, um, but absolutely prolific cult figure. Um, and the, the song is about needing discipline and Genesis gets on stage and just starts screaming about discipline and it, it's really edgy and not on good and powerful. And, and this happened in the eighties, right? That this wasn't even like, like a modern, you know, like alternative culture thing that this happened like before the, the internet was, was even, you know, known to, to many people. So yeah, it's important to, to cultivate discipline and to, to not just like become a, a part of the orgy of nothingness. It was like, if you're criticizing something or rather if you're trying to liberate yourself from something, you're living within its discursive bubble, meaning that you're in a dialogue without what you hate. Um, and it feels like a lot of what we're talking about is kind of uh, reminds me of schizoanalysis and reminds me of um, rather than opposing something, you would rather figure out a way to create a something for yourself by entering into perhaps a deep and honest dialogue with um, the origin of a vitality, which is the original producer of discursive forms in the first place. Very much. I mean, I, I don't even have anything to add to it because what you just said was just so perfect. Mm. Is there any, yeah, well, it's kind of a very, it's, it's, the answer that you gave a while ago is, is, is good. And so far as you said, uh, it's, it's, it's better not even to define it. And I understand fully why, which is if you define it, then you're putting it into the sort of mimetic field on which it can be mimicked and other people yeah. can do their hairstyle. And it's not about that. It's about yeah. the few, not the many, who have the vitality and the will and the power and the capability to produce something um, and that haven't been bound within the you know, being opposed to something, you know, that there are people who are actually oriented to creating their own values. It's very Nietzschean. Well, you know, the way I think about it, it's like you have your childhood and you do what your parents tell you to do and they basically rule your life and you kind of get by for better or for worse, but you do. And then you have your teenage years, which are at, fuck you parents, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I'm going to be free. And it's all in rebellion against the parents. And that's the thing, this liberation comes precisely as a negation of that parental authority. And the return to adulthood is where you kind of take those lessons from being a teenager, but actually go, actually, my parents were kind of onto something. And maybe I don't have to do it their way. But actually, I want to be able to stand up and say, at least I am the parent to myself and possibly the parent to other kids as well. It's that shift. It's no longer either being under their authority or rebelling against their authority, which is still under their authority. You step up and you become the authority yourself with all of the the inherent sacrifice and discipline that that entails. Yeah, that would be like the the Jungarian concept of the anarch or as the rationalists say, metacontrarianism. Um, but you can also get caught in that loop, you know, like you're stuck in the, the medicontarian pool and then you've got like the, the post-rationalists and they're, they're kind of like all saying the same thing. And then, then you need like a, like a fourth position and then you need like a fifth one. And it's like a, like an infinite, you know, I mean, it just keeps growing and it just, you know, like it, it's infinite and it's chaotic and you have to know like when to draw lines and you have to know like when to create borders and you have to know when to stop. And enter into that pathic dialogue, right? With, uh, with, with 
and mediated experience, which is something that you seem to be very apt and brave at, at least going from your description of reading, reading Frank de Newman in LSD. Yeah, I mean, to me, that was normal. Like, I, I don't know, like, how it is that, that people have become so, so banal because that, that was just, like, regular to me. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it was just another day, right? Um, I, I think that maybe, like, people are just, like, um, like, Nassim Taleb says, people are very afraid of risk more now than they ever have been before. Um, they're, they're afraid of danger, um, and to them, like everything is dangerous, right? So, so the, the current aristocracy, they, they just like sit in their inherited palaces and they don't have like even one iota of knowledge or cultural experience that the creative aristocracy has. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's like, well, well how, do, how do we get rid of them? Can, can we? Do we need to like join their ranks or should we just like let them control everything. And then there's like the whole, like, yeah, we should let them control everything because fighting back is stupid. Um, and and I, I don't think like any of these solutions are sufficient. What we need are, are parallel games, you know, like, like game B, right? We, we need parallel ways of interacting, you know, and, and we need new forms and, and we need new verticalities. It feels like you are very much about embodying an alternative rather than formalizing or systematizing one yeah yeah i am and i have been criticized for that greatly yet the same people who have criticized me for that have also you know been trying to get a a little piece of the next big thing so um they're kind of hypocritical that there's nothing wrong with embodying that which inspires you there's nothing wrong with it for me it's really powerful and it's really like even mystical to to have the, this experience you know like dinanzio one of the the founding futurists he, he talked about living life as a living work of art you know, like you are the work of art um and that, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't like systemize and formalize these things so we can create these new vertical structures you know and like turn these things you know into actual forms you know like, like we need to to form these things um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but that there should be more of the the embodying there should be more of the theatrical the promethean spirit and i, I want to make sure that we keep the, this vitalism alive and that it doesn't all just like decline into this like you know um i want to say like chinese it's gonna sound racist um <laughs> it doesn't like all to decline into like this um like eastern you know, like conformity of, um, you know, like the, the Confucianism, that, that kind of thing, it, that it doesn't all like decline into that. And, mm. you know, like this whole, like this notion of, of like saving face is it's just like so gross to me. It, it, it needs to be eradicated or based in the lived and embodied experience if it is, if the system is to be in any way, shape or form alive and not just dust in a drawer. Um, yes. And it feels also like you, so you embody the spirit of eventology in the words of Bard, meaning that, you know, as opposed to a world in which everything recurs and is always the returning of the same, in the image of like, for example, when we were nomads and there's a year, there's the seasons, and next year is going to be the same. Eventology is about something started, we'll write the fuck out, we'll write it out because it's, it's an event that can change the world forever for somewhere which is why it's so interesting that you're into the futurism stuff because that's precisely where their vitality is about. Having said that, I want to ask you a question. What is the, what was a meaningful experience that you had when you, you know, dipped your toes into the outsideness and, and, and is there anything cool that you can or want to relay back to us? I, I guess I'm permanently in the deep end, rather than off the deep end and in the deep end. And I mean, like when, when I have uh, nightmares now they don't, they don't seem like nightmares to me they're just like really cool experiences so i i've just lived one of those kinds of lives you know i, I used to like take lsd and, and go to medical oddity museums and uh, i mean i i'm just a person who loves experiencing new things and you know exploring the the edge for its vitalist properties it's, it's not about like a mindless contrarianism it's 
about soaring to new heights of experience. Um, I, I would love to skydive on acid. Like, like skydiving itself is incredible. So um, oh, open up America, we, we want to go skydiving. Um, <laughs> I just, I, I love skydiving. I love that feeling. And, you know, if, if I could like uh, have any job, it, it would actually be like a skydiving instructor. Like if I wasn't doing this independent creator thing, you know, I, I would just become a skydiving instructor because that's when, when you really feel what it's like to be alive. Very cool. Rachel, it's been about an hour. Do you need to wrap up? I've got a couple more minutes if, if you want to okay. talk about anything specifically. Mm. Like five, ten minutes. Cool. I'm going to eat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's cool and it's interesting because it feels like there needs to be these people. And these are not, not everyone can or is able or willing to do this. But if we do not have them, them are forever bound within a clusterfuck of, of mimicry and and horizontal griddedness you need you yeah need to, you need to bring the life from the outside otherwise we're all dead yeah definitely spiritually bankrupt and spiritually dead um it's a gerardian mimicry of ingress that leads to nowhere and we're going somewhere we're building salons and we're creating new structures and you know we are building. We're the architects of a new aristocracy, and it's time for us to embrace that. I encourage everybody to subscribe to my Substack. I, I no longer post on social media. I'm not on, on Twitter or Facebook. I have a Substack, and I write all of my ideas and thoughts on it. It's rachelhaywire.substack.com. And I also encourage you guys to check out the Elixir Salon. The next event that I throw, it's gonna be in a couple months. You can go to elixirsalon.net. You can register early. And yes, vitalism is coming back and here we are. Amazing. I love you used the word spirit there. And I think to me there's something, there's a work to be done in rehabilitating or reclaiming the word spirit from the neo-eastern spirituality schools that go on in the west a bunch it's like for one thing they just don't do that well at teaching what they supposedly teach it's like as i've already said like yoga is a badass ten thousand year old system and at the moment it's being used to create sexy pictures on instagram that's not what it's for <laughs> and to rediscover that and to rediscover spirit precisely as this animating principle and spirituality is not where you go into deep meditation in a meditation center so you can completely detach yourself and then be like Slavoj Žižek has this incredible critique of Western Buddhism where he basically says it's the perfect religion for late capitalism because it basically teaches you don't worry about anything, just be okay with it, detach. It's like, great, well, if the world's fucked and things are kind of like, oppressive and shit for everybody then then maybe you don't need to detach maybe you need to actually enliven yourself and feel that spirit that that like wolf inside that wants to howl i was saying to daniel before you showed up on the call actually i learned a great lesson from this german mystic woman last week where she was saying get used to having the feeling of anger in your nervous system at all times not being pissed off and going around and being a dick to everybody all the time, but just get used to having that fire, that vitality that is willing to say no, to draw a line, but also to say yes. And to basically it's dignity. That's what anger is. It's expansion. Mm -hmm. And I think. I'd love to often, talk to her and invite her to the, the Elixir Salon. You guys are mentioning people and I'm like, we should be in contact. So um, yeah, to definitely introduce us. If you can, like women saying that, I'm to be like genderist, but like it's, it's just so refreshing to, to hear another woman saying that, period. 100%. I completely agree with you. Um, too many, too many, too much dick energy sometimes. Uh, <laughs> it is, it's like fucking hell. <laughs> but well, um, I haven't had too much like feminine energy with a dick. You know, it's like too much, ah. like, it's too much like feminine men. You know, but, but, anyway, it's, just, it's, it's, another, it's another issue. It's another issue. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Feminine no, energy with a dick, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, when, when, is, when is this going to air? When I, I want to like send out a, a notice to my subset. Yeah, so I've been, I've got a bit of a mountain of shit to, to edit. And so I'll try and do it as quickly as possible. It could be about a month's time or so. But uh, oh. yeah, I will. I'm going to try and do a couple tomorrow. So yeah, we will see Great. what happens with it. Really, Great. it's been real. I love these discussions, and thank you, thank you guys for being on this journey with me. And I think it's going to continue. And yeah, for I, sure, dude. Great. I cannot fucking yeah. wait for the next salon. And wonderful. you're welcome back to talk on Techno Social anytime. Sounds great. I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of the day, and I'm sure we'll talk soon. Right. Hello, people, once again, and if you made it this far, well done. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you like what we're doing, then please consider supporting us on YouTube and on your podcast app, sharing the content round and talking to people about it. And also consider giving us a donation on patreon.com forward slash technosocial so we can keep growing the show. Ciao.